0: You do is just make up your mind that you're gonna do something. something. The key to life is your attitude. Make sure you're doing what you want to do. Your goals can unfold right before your eyes, but you gotta have certain priorities in order. All right, and so welcome back to another episode of. Guidance Truck Podcast. My name is christmas Saxon. I'm the Guidance Truck. It is Tuesday, June 20th, as I'm heading back home today. This is another uh heading home uh episode. One one of these days I'll be willing to talk at 6 a.m. But <laughs> usually it's uh better at uh 5 p.m. Uh because I am in Central Time uh, in Alabama. <clears throat> And you know, if you did check out the first episode, if you haven't had the first episode, uh whatever episode this is on that you get to, um, go back, check it out, just a little introductory. Uh definitely not my best work. Uh you'll get that at some point during my run. Um, this is nowhere near my best work so far. Because, um, again, I am um, as I sorry, if you go back and read the first the pilot episode, first episode description. Uh, this is self-recorded, produced, edited, and all of the above. And I'm, you're largely recording in my car on, or in my truck rather, as I, as I travel. So it's obviously road noise, things of that nature. So, you know, over this fits your niche and you keep on listening. Um, as I mentioned on the last, on the first episode, uh, this is a podcast about a few different things. Uh, the first thing is definitely, um, always going to be sports. There's a pointed sports story or a touching sports story, uh, that I find to be interesting. That's probably what I'm going to talk about. Uh, but I'm a man of many facets. I'm a man of many ideas and, and motivations and things I perceive in a day-to-day life. And so sometimes it'll, it'll differentiate, uh, it'll be some lifestyle, some music. Um, I work on playlists, so I'll probably promote those on here as well. Um, <clears throat> But, you know, overall, it, it'll probably be more so geared towards sports. You can blame my mother for that. Um, when my dad worked nights when I was a baby, in order for her to be able to trust that whatever I had on, whatever was on the television wasn't, you know, damaging my my uh, childlike brain, it was always on SportsCenter, right? Nothing wrong with sports, even kill Nothing wrong with sports, so I think that is really where my love for sports comes from my love for sports debates come from, and we're gonna get into kind of uh again, this is a touching sport sort of scenario um I'm looking at this is an annual debate um that happens among the NBA community and the pundits and the fans of um <clears throat> of the sport often um is the Jordan versus LeBron debate. But I'm going to first start um with a definition of what the GOAT debate actually is and the actual lens I am taking this debate through because again I'm not trying to tell you who I lean towards or whatever or whatever. I am him fans of both. I grew up in the nineties, uh so the Jordan lore was definitely there. I was a ninety three baby, so by the time I got object permanence, uh he <laughs> He he was long gone. Uh he was he was out the league by the time I got object permanent. So um and then obviously I remember his Wizards years that you no know, those who are in his camp like to act like didn't happen. But in any case, uh and then obviously the player that I have the most memories of in this debate is LeBron James. And so I'm actually somewhere in the middle on this debate. Uh as a fan of both as a fan of the sport, I enjoy the tennis match of debate when it comes to these things and figuring out the little annals and tricks and everything else that people go to because uh, it's deeper than the championship count is deeper than uh, things like that. So I think, um, I do think that, you know, that debate has some nuance to it. And to that end, I'm actually going to be taking this through the lens of one Stephen A. Smith and actually more of a critique on how he looks at the, uh, at the debate more so than me actually debating I guess myself <laughs> um anyway, I'm debating whatever Stephen a has put into the world and uh, put into the world um uh, prior to now, but just a little background on go debate so if you are in any sort of sports fanatic, any sort of interest, any sort of commentary, anything like that that you come across in sports, you'll often find at some point there's going to be a discussion on the GOAT. Who is the greatest of all time? In individual sports, it, it tends to be a little easier. Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson, Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholson, uh, Serena Williams, Jackie oh no, Is that who it is, Jackie Corsi? um whoever I can't remember I think it's Jackie Joyner at the top of um the tennis world I, I I can't remember if it's her or not either way I digress either way it's a lot easier with those individual sports because okay it's a one-to-one and it's an individual sport and as I mentioned in the previous podcast um outside of individual sports basketball is probably the only sport that one guy can come in and make a significant difference. And the amount of movement, activity, everything else, <clears throat> even though there are four guys on the floor with you as teammates, it's still probably, I think, by every metric, the most active uh team sport that there is out there, including soccer. right? Just due to the nature of the game, the speed of the game, the size of the playing field slash court, et cetera, et cetera, Um, there's a lot of similarities in the athleticism that it takes to play tennis as it is for basketball. But even though this is a team sport, we can go through history and look at when a guy came along and completely changed the trajectory of a franchise. I mean, we take it, take Jordan, for example, who the Chicago Chicago Bulls were a moribund franchise, taking, you know, know, just just taking people's money, right? (laughs) Um, as the league is really collapsing in on itself at that same time, uh, being propped up and built up by the Jordan, uh, excuse me, by the Magic and Larry battle of the early 80s and then leading into 84 when Jordan gets uh drafted. And that's an inflection point for the Chicago Bulls, clearly, right? The six championships that he won for them put them in the, I think, like either third or fourth, um... On franchise total championships because it's it's gonna always start with the legs and the Celtics. I do believe they're both tied at seventeen, and then you move into the uh, you move into the next group of guys or group of teams rather, and I'm almost certain the very next team that has anything close to seventeen is Chicago Bulls with six. Like, if I'm not mistaken, it is San Antonio with five. Golden State with four, Miami with three, um, I think New York has two, um, Houston has two, and yeah, I think you could, uh, Detroit has two, Philly has a handful, they had two or three or four, I can't remember, somewhere between two and four, I think Philly has, so you can go back and look at those championship teams, you can recognize that, hey, one guy showed up and everything changed. And there is a legitimate effect that can be felt, right? That you need a good general manager, which is a conversation for another day, to <laughs> build around your one superstar. Because having one superstar is going to have you in the playoffs. And if you're in the playoffs, you're not paying at the top of the drafts. You're not getting the quote-unquote high-end talent. You're going to need a guy like a Jerry Krause. To go out there and make the trades and do whatever it takes to build around your guy, right? To go get you a to, to go get Michael a Scottie Pippen, to go get Michael a Horace Grant, to make the trade after he comes back for a Dennis Rodman, right? You got to have a guy that's willing to go and do that. And LeBron, for every reason, never had that. But again, there's a, a general manager discussion. We'll have it at another day. And the importance of having a good general manager that is good, honestly, at all things that it comes with building a team, from scouting to roster management to team to the people stuff to team chemistry all those things and and how that is a clear dictation on the success of franchises and there's a lot of gms out here that guys like me and my friends think we could do their job because what have they done right if you're gonna just keep hiring randoms who have quote-unquote experience who still can't get it done you might as well hire joe blow off the street and just roll the dice. That's how we feel because we want those GM job and opportunities. But in any case, um, there's obviously a pervasive debate uh, within NBA circles and sports fans, things like that, and just general public, right? This idea of who is the best guy and who is the greatest guy. and Is there a true metric or empirical evidence to say whether or not one guy is over the other? Well, if you're Stephen A. Smith, that conversation stops and starts with Michael Jordan, and for good reason. Michael Jordan came into the league at a, I think Stephen A. was born in something somewhere in the seventies, um, late sixties maybe, early seventies. Um, I think he, I think his lamentation for the Knicks is that they have not won a championship since he was five years old. So that would be 72 or 73, if I'm not mistaken. So for him, Jordan is literally what I believe is how the league once in once was saved and also how Jordan was able to reach a international superstar level that we honestly would not see again. And the same thing for like Michael Jackson, like, Just due to the inflection point of Americana being spread across the world at a time in which literal color televisions are becoming more commonplace in the house, you immediately have a guy like Michael Jordan or Michael Jackson um, who come along and are just the guys, right? They are the, the men of the moment. And for Stephen A, that's all he needs. He saw the man at the moment. He saw the guy that took what Jordan, excuse me, what Johnson and Bird did to save the NBA to then take the NBA to an entirely new height and place um, in the 90s. And for that, I do believe that that has shaped and skewed a lot of the ways in which Stephen A. Smith uh, interprets the LeBron and Jordan debate. And to be fair, I mean, I don't, I've never personally had this debate with him. I never met Stephen A. Would love to meet him. Would love to have this debate with him because I feel like, again, as a man, as I'm going to present here today, I'm a man on both sides of the coin. So I see the empirical evidence of Jordan while also recognizing that there has never been a better player than LeBron James to us in the NBA floor. And the real reason why this gets under my skin is because Um, It's not Stephen A. I mean, there's some HBC writer, I guess, in there, maybe, because he went to Winston-Salem. And to me, he's the heel of the NBA, especially he's the heel of LeBron, for sure, because I think he is also cognizant of what the power of his voice can do. So he's mentioned before about when guys are up for contracts, things like that, how he does not go into all the reasons why you don't give a guy like this a contract. why? Well, because he ain't never trying to stop nobody from getting their money. So he is one of the – he is the sports pundit. He is the guy. He is honestly the face of sports commentary at this time in America. And because of that, we give him a measure of reverence and respect. But I do think that he is a bit misguided in this debate. And, again, I, you, this is one of the things where you're never be able to convince him. He is adamant that LeBron will always be the number two to him, right? The 1A, the 1B, I guess. And his position is always, why is that so bad, right? What is so wrong with being called the second greatest player of all time? Because if, if people believe that someone else is greater, then it's going to be an insult. It's going to be a debate. He feels like there, there should be no debate, but there should be. Because the 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 core of his debate, the core of his debate, and the reason why, again, why this is important to me, is that, obviously, we're at the tail end of LeBron James' career. And the level of expectation that people are trying, or like the fanfare, I, I would rather say, that people are trying to lump onto Victor Wimbenyama, the young rookie who will like to get drafted later this week um, to the San Antonio Spurs on a long list of legendary big men drafted by the San Antonio Spurs because um, he, he has that level of potential, that there has been a measured sort of fanfare about Victor coming to the league and saying there's never been a player more height coming to the league than this guy. And I would say I don't think Y'all are being honest, right? <laughs> because I know that roughly 20 years ago that they were cutting away from like NBA highlights and the tail end of NBA games to show LeBron high school highlights. That's literally what was happening. Right, there had never been a guy to come in to the league with that much fanfare. Even as great as Jordan was, after winning the chip his freshman year, you know, had two. I mean, they had two good postseason runs the next two years, but that was the only college championship he won was that first year. And so, you could argue that the fanfare had died down. Hell, that's why he went third, right? Because he ain't seven feet tall. He's not six nine. He's Six At that point, probably six five, right? Shooting guard. Well, Hakeem Olajuwon, before the H, was sitting there with all of his skills and everything else. Yeah, you draft the number one. That's what you do because that's the best guy in the draft. And you might say, go back and look at it and say, well, Jordan was clearly the best guy in the draft. He would have been drafted number one in the redraft. Well, Hakeem would have still gone number two because that was the other guy, like, in that draft. And so, I think for that is it, that's what we that's what this kind of starts for me is that idea of debate and this idea that Stephen A has this position that he is just immovable on, and I just find that to be a bit pointed because I find it to be a bit of a dilemma for him. I don't think that he, like I said, I don't think he's being honest. I think he under, I think he knows the truth but he is a man that is so tangentially tied to his takes at times that he cannot see the fourth of for the trees he cannot see you know new evidence to correct to potentially correct himself because he is just like whatever right it's a take i said it i can move on but when you this one this is a consistent take and I'm going to paint a picture for you really quickly. So, again, Jordan's career ends in 98 for all of the Jordan fans. They love to not act like anything before 91 didn't happen, anything after 98 didn't happen. Well, he played, was it 13 seasons in total? So, yes, there are about seven years we got to account for two of the two was of on the back of 15 really be 15 two of which happened on the washington wizards yes he played for them he suited up he averaged about 20 a game let's not get it twisted he was still great on the wizards for a 40 year old man but he was on the wizards right there's no way around that fact um and as much people try to act like that time didn't happen I'm a child of the early 2000s. I remember playing NBA Street Volume 2 and being hyped that the promotion was like, there are three Jordans in the game. And I was like, that's fucking tight, right? <laughs> First run, Jordan. Second run, Jordan. Washington Wizards, Jordan. In a three-on-three game. In a three-on-three video game. Of course, I ran sometimes with just Jordans. Why? I could. That's the point. So... I think for Stephen A, once Jordan retires in 98, within the next few then you got Kobe coming in. There's always the app comparisons between their skill sets due to, obviously, Kobe emulated so much of his game after Jordan, but the two differences between Jordan and Kobe was Kobe did not have the athleticism that Jordan had. So where Jordan could muscle guys, Kobe had to finesse. Fair. And then right around that, so then they go out and win three chips, San Antonio wins a couple chips, and then out of nowhere there comes all this hype, fanfare, beloviating about this kid out of Ohio who is going to come out of high school into the NBA, more than likely. And they're calling him the chosen one. He didn't call himself that. He got it tattooed on himself. But that's because other people called him the chosen one. Because that's what he was. The man seemingly that you can have a religious experience about. Because that is how the people of Cleveland felt about LeBron James. At one point, you go back and find it. There's a graphic from an actual NBA game. Where they say that his role on the team isn't, you know, facilitator, isn't versatile big man, isn't wing defender. His role was savior. S A V I O R, savior. That was his role of the Cleveland Cavaliers, was savior. That's just how bad it had gotten for Cleveland. You got to understand, they were celebrating a three-game win streak in his rookie season because it was the first time it had happened in like eight seasons or some shit like that. But like, that's crazy. A three-game winning streak. You know what I'm saying? Not, no, not three games. They could not string three games together for like a few years. That's crazy. So, You come in, there's all this fanfare, there's all this boviation. Now you are, there's 04, right? Kobe and them lose. So you're like, okay, 03, 04, Kobe and them lose. So you're like, perfect, right? The guy who could have been the guy has a loss. Because I think uh, you go back to Stephen A's debate and his, he has the surface level, right? He's not going deeper than he wins six for six. Okay, he went six for six. Now, again, there's other arguments. Now we'll get into other arguments in a little bit. But, like, his core argument is, hey, Jordan's the guy because when he went to the finals, he never lost. And made the finals six times and won the finals six times. Okay. So then LeBron, so then Kobe comes in, fans out, and loses in the finals. Okay, then LeBron comes in, and he's everything they said he was. (laughs) <laughs> he didn't say it was um, points, assists, rebounds. Completely changed the tra- tra- trajectory, the trajectory of that franchise and that team. And then was it two thousand seven? He drug a team that had absolutely no business whatsoever in the NBA Finals to the NBA Finals. I am gonna say it again. He drug a team that had absolutely no business whatsoever being in anyone's NBA Finals, excuse me, to an NBA Finals, in his third, not fourth season? In Jordan's third, fourth season, he was still getting put out by the, uh, either by Larry Bird or by the uh, Detroit Pistons. Those are the two teams. Putting him out of his misery at that time. Keep in mind, Jordan never beat Led Bird in a in a single playoff game, let alone a playoff series. He does not have a win against an individual player in a game. But again, we're getting to we're getting we're getting there. We're getting there, we're getting there. And so then in 2007, that the Dragon team that has no business being there, to run up against uh, – let me check my notes here. Oh, yeah, the San Antonio Spurs with uh, three first ballot Hall of Famers on it uh, along with a Hall of Fame-level coach. Yeah, one thing LeBron never had. They go and obviously sweep that team that had no business being there. If you think that I'm joking about saying the team had no business being there, go back and look at the teammates of LeBron James on that championship run in, I think, 2007. Please go back and look at that list. And if you feel like you, if you're an NBA person, you always recognize those names. But if you are a casual or a person who likes it from time to time, I want you to tell me in the comments whether or not you recognize any of those names. Don't worry, I will wait because you're going to be hard pressed to tell me anything about those players. So you recognize now, okay, well, tell me what the stat line was. Tell me what they contributed to the team. What was their role? What positions did they play on the team? Because you don't know. Because even I don't know, right? <laughs> Our president on that team, I think, was like Ederson Verazal and Shadrini Sikowskis, because those are the two big men on the team who actually had some relative, like, name recognition, man due to them being foreigners, Otherwise, you can't name me anybody on them teams. So, So to me, I feel like that was a moment Stephen A. was waiting for, right? All he needs is somebody who they say is his good or is better, if not better than Jordan, to lose in the NBA Finals. And then I don't have to worry about a debate anymore because I got my six for six. And that's where I think this dilemma starts for Stephen A. In that, so LeBron loses in 2007. He loses again in twenty eleven in embarrassing fashion. Even I as a LeBron stand cannot defend uh him losing in that embarrassing fashion in twenty eleven. I can uh try to explain it, but I cannot defend it. Right? It's like even I feel like hey brother, if JJ Berea has got you not wanting to drive to the rim, I don't know what to do with that. Right? I really I really just don't know what to do with that. But in any case he wins two in back-to-back 2012-2013. And literally 2013, LeBron James might be the greatest player. That made be the best version of LeBron, which I would say, you take that version of LeBron up against your best version of Jordan, and I guarantee you we're, we're going to win. But we go out of that, in 2014 again to the Spurs, and then he goes back to Cleveland for another four years and wins one chip in that run. And takes three more finals losses. And then in 2020, in the bubble, gets another win. And then he has not been back to the finals since then. And so LeBron James will likely end his career with four championships uh, within 10 NBA finals trips. And I think for a man like Stephen A., that is all that he needs because Again, his debate is Jordan's undefeated in the finals. So long as there's no guy who can say they are undefeated in the finals as well as Jordan, he doesn't have to take the debate too much further than the chips. But he should. And this is why. And this is why I think his problem comes in is that there are still, there's still debate. There's an active debate. Right? He and... I find Stephen A's behavior at times when it comes to this debate to be a bit pointed because he more or less latches on to whatever player he thinks, especially here in the last few years, and then by Transit Property Team, that can see LeBron one on one. So it starts with Kevin Durant. He jumps on Kevin Durant's bandwagon, probably at some time, you know, watching him be a seven-foot shooting guard. I would, hey, it's easy to be a fan of a man who can literally score at will on anybody at any point in time, no matter what the scenario is. That is what a, you know, uninjured ever in life Kevin Durant can do for you, right? He can just show up, show out, and just be the best dude on the court if he's going to be on the court healthy enough to play, he still might be that dude at times. And then Stephen A has to, you know, he 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 is honest. He's honest. He's honest that in 2017, KD made the weakest move by an NBA superstar that he's ever seen. It was the weakest move by an NBA superstar that most of us have ever seen when KD takes all of his seven-foot shooting guard talent all the way to a team that has a system that's built around speed, space, and everything else, and shooting threes, and passing, and just a easy style of play, right? And there's this vitriol that comes to LeBron, right, the decision, and super teams, and all that good stuff. But what Kevin Durant has done over the last three stops in his NBA career, including this last one now in Phoenix, um, has not done the LeBron James, right? If anything, Brooklyn might be a little closer to that, but Golden State and Phoenix are not that. But in any case, the point I'm trying to make is Stephen A lashed himself on to Kevin Durant at that time, partly because he backtracked his statement, that was true, partly because that team was unstoppable. And while they were a little bit boring to watch, they were a team that could beat LeBron James. And I think that he has carried that over even to now. You will hear him, you can turn on the TV probably today, if not last week or whenever, and you will hear him bloviating about the Golden State Warriors and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green and Steph Curry and how he still has them as like a Bible NBA contender. Hell, to the point that even Vegas feels that way because – Yeah, as long as you got Steph Curry, you got a shot. That's fair. Two-time NBA champion, three-time, excuse me, two-time NBA MVP, four-time NBA champion. There's debate about, you know, there was some beginning debate on whether or not LeBron James, um, if he were to lose to Steph this year and fuck around and win the fifth championship, what does that mean in, in the hierarchy of things and blah, 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 blah. I guess we'll never know, thankfully. <laughs> um, because I do believe the Golden State Warriors window is just as close as LeBron James' window. Um, that they're going to need a whole lot to get that window back open if they want to have a chance. But as long as you got LeBron James and Steph Curry, in the last 10 years, that has been all you need to be competitive. To be fair, literally in the last 10 years, that's literally all you have needed to be competitive is the one of those two guys. So... I can understand why even Vegas feels like they're still a shot, but there's no shot. But Stephen A is so tangentially tied to the idea that these guys beat LeBron. This, this is my interpretation that these guys, he's old, that these guys beat LeBron, that these are my guys, that even if LeBron were to retire, I'm still going to roll with them because I need somebody to move past LeBron now. Right? That's the thing. He He was so ready to just sink his teeth into the idea that there was another guy that we could move into the debate and move LeBron James out of it. He was just ready. He was ready to go. I'm t- I am mean, I mean, if you honestly go back, if you can, to find the debates on, let's say, like, if LeBron James loses Steph Curry in these finals, what does that mean? And he's literally trying to, like, use syntax and verbiage to be like, if this happens, then a conversation might need to be started. A whole lot of things are pretty much saying you don't believe this, but you are literally, you don't believe that anyone actually might be better than LeBron in this era, but you're going to hope and pray on some empirical evidence to give you an example. And to that end, Looking for an example of empirical evidence. NBA last year in 2022, if I'm not mistaken, celebrated its 75th anniversary. Uh, I believe since the of existence, if not since the merger. Uh, the 75th anniversary of its existence. And if you take those groups of 25, I see them in the thirds you can honestly see kind of the annals of the league. So we take taking 75 last year, somewhere in the 50s. So somewhere between the late 50s to mid-70s is the first 25. Right, Early mid-70s is the first 25. At best, we have in there Bill Russell, George Mikan, John Havlicek, Bob Cousy, Jerry West, Oscar Robinson, and that's it that I can just Evan Will Chamberlain. That's it that I can just name offhand, right? Just just off the cuff. I'm not even trying to think do, do nothing empirical. Then you say that's like seventy seventy two is seventy three. Then to the next seventy five, cause that'll be what 22, 75 That's twenty. I'd uh, be like seventy seven, I guess seventy seven. So, yeah. Wait, no. Wait. No, shit. Uh No, 97. Yeah, so 97 minus 25 would be 72. I was right. So, yeah, 72. 72 95. What do we have? That is more or less the Jordan era, right? That is the Magic and Bird era. That's the Jordan era. That is Dr. J's era. That is, that's the NBA merger era. That is Kareem. That is... Uh, uh, not uh Isaiah. That is Bird. That's Mikkel Parish, Worthy. All those dudes, man. And really and truly, I mean, Dominique Wilkins, Hakeem Olajuwon. I say all those dudes. But the point I'm trying to make is this: is that if you look at those from like a like a depth standpoint of just high end talent of all star or better players, what you will find, and to be fair, it should be that way, is that every quarter. Excuse me, every uh, triad, excuse me, moves forward in talent to a much higher level. And the amount of talent in the last 25 years is much higher than the amount of talent that was in the 70s to mid-90s, which is obviously a much higher talent than the annals of the NBA, right? Back in the day when they were literally like butchers and plumbers and just guys who knew a guy, on the end of the bench who never saw the floor, but that's legit. It. Like there were guys that was like, that's legit thing. Like they come the plumber, the plumber era, right. To play with plumbers on the floor and shit like that. Like, that's not really true, but it kind of is right. <laughs> like there were guys that the NBA was not their day job sort of thing. Right. Um, they did this when the boys was in town sort of thing. That that's legit. That's legit thing. Then you get into the, the middle era, and you see that, okay, the back end guys still got to have some level of talent. And then we got guys now that those guys in the middle couldn't make the team right now, right? The middle guys of the, 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 in the middle of the bench guys, like the, off the bench guys, the six through 10 rotation of the NBA bench guys, damn near most of them probably couldn't make an NBA roster in today's time. That's just how high the level of talent has got. And so, to me, it is disingenuous. It's almost, it's almost me saying that like debate is almost stupid because you can't compare errors, right? There are people who believe that LeBron James as a 6'9", 260-pound locomotive would not have been able to handle the quote-unquote physicality of the A's in the 90s. Okay. You can say that. Cause you believe him to have a, I guess you call the weak spirit, which I don't know how you get any of that from watching LeBron James play. <laughs> it's like you want to here and make jokes about him, like complaining to the refs. Oh, okay, go watch Jordan highlight and see if he's complaining and fighting with the refs. That's what that's what I want you to go back and look at. Right, that's what I want you to. This is what I want you to see. All right, that's where that shit fucking started. Let's start there, right? <laughs> so if it's not about looking for calls, what are you talking about, right? You just, belie- you just believe Jordan to be a tougher player than LeBron James because you don't have any empirical evidence suggest anything different. All you have is Jordan playing in a quote-unquote tough era, and you have LeBron only on film in a quote-unquote soft era. You can't compare eras. We'll be here all day. And so, if you can't compare errors, then what can you compare? Because you had to go to the empirical shit, but again, that's based upon talent level. So, to me, the debate is disingenuous that Stephen A has because he's not taking into account that the level of talent in LeBron's era is much higher than the level of talent that was in Jordan's era. Now, you might say the top end talent would go toe to toe. We could have a debate about that. But I will say that a team—I would take the top. I would take a starting five of the best five players of the last twenty-five years versus the top twenty-five of the middle. Uh, top five of the middle twenty-five. I can guarantee that because I can tell you right now that team's gonna have Steph Curry, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, and Kevin Durant on it. What you gonna do, right? I—I even include Tim Duncan. I didn't include. No, that's the bench. The bench got Tim Duncan. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? The bench got Tim Duncan. What are we talking about here? Right? You told that top five in Jordan's era, that might be Isaiah Thomas, excuse me, Magic Johnson, excuse me, Isaiah Thomas, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Led Bird, and Kareem. Again, I'm taking this era five all day and tomorrow and the six man. Because I don't even know who the six man will be in that era. I'm taking the six man in this era every day of the week. So I do think that this debate has gotten to a certain point where even Stephen A. is literally just looking for anyone somewhere, please, to give me any sort of thirsty of evidence that LeBron James is not better than Michael Jordan. Even though he just passed cream for the all time great, even though there's not anything that you can say that you can ask LeBron to do on an NBA basketball court that Michael Jordan can do, or whatever the case may be. Right. Like there's there's no but a transit property. Like it's just not there. And so you now as we're getting to the end of my ride, the end of this uh episode, um I do want to get into a little bit about what I've perceived to be the actual debate. Um And it is a debate of more about verbiage, best versus great. And it's a bit of a trick bag because both of those terms come from, I can't remember, it's the, I can't, it's, it's I can't remember the actual literary terms for it, but you know what I'm saying? It's like progression of something of, it's like objective and then the other one. So, it's like, good, better, best. And then it's good, good, well, great, or good, great, well. Something like that. And so, yeah, like doing great, how like you doing well. Yeah, good, great, well, and good, better, best. And so, good, well, great, good, better, best. And so, they come from the same word. And so, that's why we have, we got good players. Then we got great players. Well, we got good players. Then we got who's the best player, right? Because that's it. You see how the verbiage is when you see when you use them in context? We got good players. There, there are good players. And then there are great players. And then we got good players. And then we got a question of who is the best player. And that question of who is the best player will always come back to LeBron James. Because to me, great is empirical. Best is talent, right? It's almost like the analytics versus the eye test. Great is analytics. Best is the eye test. And so that's the debate. You want to have a GOAT debate? Well, the term GOAT is great. So the greatest of all time is Michael Jordan. Because he did go six for six. He did win five MVPs. He does have a defensive player of the year on his on his resume. He does have two tri-mvp seasons, which you don't know what that is. That's when you win the All-Star MVP, the league MVP, and the Finals MVP. He did it twice. LeBron never got that honor. So you see what I'm saying? That this, so and then all the other, like all NBA, all defensive teams, Olympic medals, all those good things, right? That is, the, that is the Jordan empirical evidence debate. And once you get into empirical, then we can get into a top five, top 10, top 20, top 75, top 100 players of all time. Because we're getting to empirical, right? That has to be a, a definition of how do we define this? Because it's, it's, the, it's that peak point thing. Is that at the peaks, who was there? Nobody but him. Right, Even on a points per game standpoint, even on a total points standpoint, things of that nature, right? Yeah, like Bill got 11 rings and Kareem got six MVPs, but you can't say that either one of those feel like greater players than Michael Jordan. Even as guys who probably have seen all of them play, they all say it's Jordan. They give a little love to Bill Walton, but it's all love to Jordan that he's the best dude that we've ever seen because he could do all that shit they could do. They can't do the shit he could do, right? And that's that's some cold shit. But the best player of all time, from a talent standpoint, oh, it's LeBron James, the guy you ain't got to teach nothing to, the guy that literally makes the guys on his team better. To the lamentation of so many people, all he is going to make the right play, not take the bet, not take the last shot. He's gonna make the right play. So if the right play isn't taking the last shot, he'll take the last shot the right player sent him passing the ball, he's going to make the right play because he's a basketball player. He's not trying to be the all-time greatest, although he clearly is because he invited this debate the moment he chose 23 as his jersey number. He invited this debate once he made it clear that he was clear, that he was going to pass Kareem that night. He invited this debate, and so here we are, but I have a hard time understanding how a man goes to 10 NBA championships and runs the East for, like, 12 years, right? Now, I want want you to go back and really think about that. LeBron James left the Eastern Conference in the 2017-18 NBA season. So, 2018, he leaves the Eastern Conference, He makes the playoffs and makes the finals for the first time in 2007. 2008, the Boston Celtics, I believe, beat him. In 2009, I do believe it was the Orlando Magic that beat him. And then in 2010, it was again the big three Celtics. And so from 2007 to 2018, you more or less had to go through LeBron James in order to even go to the NBA Finals. You had to go through him. And then in 2011, no one went again for eight seasons. I want it understood. Once he goes to the finals in the 2010, 2011 season, was it seven seasons? No one, seven, eight seasons. No one else touches the NBA finals, dog, for like eight seasons in the East. Eight! The average NBA career is like three and a half. Dude, he literally was in the finals for some guy's whole career. He was in the finals. For some kid's whole childhood, from the moment of object to like to like four or five, so you start remembering things, to like them going to high school, one man was in the NBA Finals every year. And there are going to be people who are going to tell you that somehow, some way, making the NBA Finals but losing the NBA Finals is somehow a detriment to his career? Okay, I'm going to go back and look at the guys with the NBA finals almost as many times as LeBron James. Do, 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 do. Okay, we got the uh 60 Celtics. Yep, made it like 13 times. 13, what was it? 11 times and 13 NBA seasons Bill Russell won a chip. Okay. And then do, 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 Jerry West went to the NBA finals in the 90s. And went to the NBA finals nine times. Nine, time, nine times, nine times. In the 70s. So 60s, 70s. So the two guys who might have more NBA finals trips. One of them has the literal finals MVP trophy named after him. The other one is the logo of the league. So find me again how going to the NBA finals that many times in a more talent-rich era is somehow a detriment to his career. Because that's also empirical evidence. So again. If you want to talk about what's level of empirical evidence, you want to talk about, you want to talk about the chips, okay? Jordan's got them. We talk about MVPs, well, Jordan's got them. You want to talk, are y'all all NBA stuff like that? We can get. Into, I, I don't know the exact numbers, okay. But we talk about level of talent, and that's just not to say that Jordan can come into the post-2000s era and dominate or win or put a team with them, whatever, and they go ahead and get it done. Now, I say that couldn't happen. It very well could. But I can say that if LeBron was in Jordan's era, that, one, he probably been treated like Magic Johnson. But, two, we know that LeBron could survive in there just as much as we know that Jordan could survive in this era. But debate will always it will just stay a debate because there is no way to quantify it. We will never be able to get anything, whatever. You can they'll run all the analytics and metrics and AI and all of the shit and they'll tell you it's Jordan or whatever the history, because that's empirical. But there's nobody more in this world that you watch with your own two eyes than LeBron James be the best player you ever saw with your own two eyes. And that does include Stephen A. Smith. He knows this. He just doesn't want to admit it because he is tangentially tied to his takes. And I don't know. He's probably got some measure of kickback from Jordan or whatever going on. Cause they go, they've been around the league and each other probably for quite some time. So I'm sure there might be some other stuff going on in there as far as like why he is so adamantly about Jordan. Never want to hear him from that thought. I'm sure there's some money involved. I don't, I don't, I don't want to put no money. I don't put no words in that man's mouth or speculation into the air, but just my, where I'm sitting there's two. he he's he rises a little bit too hard for me without actually acknowledging that there could be some actual evidence to the fact. Because I think that's where my issue comes in, that you that is really my issue is that guys like Stephen A and Ann, the guys from that era, like the alley there is no debate. That there is no room for conversation, and there is no way of knowing that there is no way that anyone could ever get past Joe unless they go at least six for six, which is just stupid. Like, it's just not, that's never going to happen ever again. That was a moment. That was a moment almost between eras, right? Where on, honestly, honestly, it might be for another day, it comes it for another day. But, like, was the 90s when Jordan Ashley won a moment between eras? Because he sure enough didn't win shit in the 80s. They couldn't get past Bird. They barely got past the Cavaliers. They couldn't get past Isaiah in the 80s. Then, like, all those teams, like, die immediately. Like, like the 90s come, them teams, like, die immediately. Like, Boston falls off a cliff. LA, Magic is 8. So then he's all he's out to leave for a couple years. Isaiah and them cave in on each other. And then, um, injuries, stuff like that. And then, Dennis then obviously takes a couple trips to get back to the East. This, that, and the third. Right? And all you people who want to sit here and talk about whether or not Elijah Wan and them with a loss in '94 and '95, I want you to go back and you tell me who on that Bulls team was gonna guard Hakeem Olajuwon, because they could have guarded Jordan. Now you can scheme around Jordan. That's easy. That's something you can do. Nothing easy. To do. You can scheme for Jordan. You can scheme for Scotty. You can scheme for Dennis. Ain't no scheming for the Dream oh no They uh, it got embarrassing the best thing that ever happened to him was that he walked away for 18 months and then they did make it to the finals when he decided to come back in 95 and everybody started to treat that shit with the asterisks oh well you know he didn't he didn't have the full season to get himself ready oh okay uh, oh okay that's that's the reason you know, it's not the fact that they had no Horace Grant at all that, that, that probably could have helped them win, win a little bit um but how about the LeBron joining? Okay, this is the last one, last one I'm going to touch on real quickly. It's just when they leave, when LeBron James leaves a franchise, they are back in the lottery. Like let's just let's just call it what it is. They're back in the lot. They're picking the draft again. They're back in the lottery, all right? LeBron left. was on Cleveland all them years, and there been no team around. The best what they ever got from was a washed up Shaq. So literally there's nothing going on. Like they just they just fucked it all up. So they, there's nothing there. He can't depend on them guys, or whatever. But the moment he leaves, they and the NBA, they are in the they they are in the fucking lottery. I'm talking about like top five pick in the lottery. Like I'm almost certain it was like Anthony Bennett, Kyrie Irving, and uh motherfucking Andrew Wiggins. Like back to back to back. Because that's just how moribund they went down once he left. Now, granted, when he left the Heat, it was also because the way was at the end of his robe, Chris Bosh, I think within that next season, his heart started to have those uh, clots and stuff like that, so he had to stop playing. You know what I'm saying? And if I'm not mistaken, Bam is a, a lottery pick, so they drafted Bam, I think in like 2015, 2016, so again, back in the lottery, right? <laughs> right back in the lottery. And then um, you see Cleveland, once again, right, they went back into the lottery once he left in 2018, right, back to go back down there and pick the Colin Sextons of the world, the Darius Garland of the world, the Evan Mobleys of the world, to then, like, literally try and rebuild that team yet again, right? Jordan left the team in 95 um, that made the Eastern Conference Finals. What? What? It's like, dawg, they had a real chance to go all the way. They won like fifty games. Like, <laughs> they didn't even need Jordan. Like, dawg, they didn't even need him. They need him a little bit so Scotty wouldn't be Scotty and turn and turn into some crazy person, which he still kind of is. But like, but like, do you still resent him for leaving you in '95, Scotty? Because this is a little bit much. Um. 94, rather, whatever the case may be, but in any case. um, So, yeah, I'm about to pull back into my humble abode. So um, that is my debate on Stephen A. Smith, uh, the NBA heel, Um, and just how he has latched on to the idea that someone, anyone, please create an empirical argument as to why I don't have to listen to all these people Tamer LeBron James has an argument anymore. Please, someone come along with a fifth chip in his era so that I can point the finger and act like he was never the go- the second greatest player of all time. Um, and that's a very interesting stance to have for a man that has literally done nothing but reach and exceed every single expectation that has ever been put on him. In um, LeBron James, and again, it's clear that I'm a LeBron fan. I don't, I don't, I don't knock that. He's the man I saw play, but I recognize Jordan's greatness and his impact on the NBA in my life. So, um, as well as Stephen A. for that matter, hey, Stephen A.'s impact in my life can also be felt in the way in which um, his pundits and his takes and everything else have shaped the way that I view sports in the world and also the the, the sport business. So, um, you know, that's kind of this is in the vein of you know. Maybe probably in this at some point down the line. But ultimately, <clears throat> you know, that that's really it. So I do thank you for tapping in for another uh, episode of a guy in his truck podcast. This is episode two. Don't know how many we're going to get. Uh, I record this when I feel like it or when I find something to be of note. So I do have a couple other topics already lined up to tackle um, in the next few weeks. Um, but, you know, you get it when you get it. Um, so right now I did finally get everything published and we're ready to go. We're, we're getting, uh, getting the word out there. So, uh, on Spotify, on Apple, uh, search guy truck podcast, tell your friends, you find it, follow it, follow, like, share, comment, rate, all the things. Um, you know, I can't grow without you. So hopefully, you uh, you enjoying, uh, the road noise and the root, the random mumblings and ramblings of a man. Uh just trying to get some thoughts off as he drives home. Uh stay safe. I'll and escape. We'll see you next time. What is getting ready to come upon us. Upon us. Somebody have to say something and have some credibility and corning those who are cornable. Everybody won't make it in,